Good evening, everyone, and welcome to season eight of Airtime at the Alamo Draft House. I will introduce the executive director of Airtime, Miss Kitty Goddard. Thank you, David. And a big thank you to all of you who uh, came out in the middle of this deluge to see a great movie and to hear a wonderful guest artist in Michael Gooden. I just wanted to share uh, one quick thing with you. Uh, we have another event coming up. What a surprise. We're always on the move. Anyway, this is on April the 21st. It's in partnership with the Church of Epiphany here in Richardson. They have an annual crawfish boil. And last year, they asked us to, to uh, take over developing an arts component to this event. We did. It was greatly successful. Everybody had a wonderful time, and we're doing it again. So there are uh, postcards back there on the table. Please take one and share. Um, I will now turn it over to David. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. H how many of you have been here to an airtime before? How many of you just came for Grand Budapest and are here for like bonus information before? How many just came because you're friends of Michael's? Sorry. <laughs> like Kitty said, my name is David Fisher. I'm the moderator of Airtime. Welcome to season eight of Airtime, which is presented by AIR, the arts incubator of Richardson, in partnership with Alamo Drafthouse Cinema in Richardson, Texas. Airtime is an interview series featuring artists and creative thinkers in Richardson and the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Airtime is funded through the generosity of Eric Weiss with Wealthstar Advisors and through a grant from the City of Richardson Cultural Arts Commission. It's February 20th, 2018, and please help me welcome our creative for the evening, Michael Gooden of M. Gooden Design. Thanks. So we'll start with the general interview question. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your design firm. Sure. Um, like you said, my name is Michael Gooden. Uh, I'm the principal of a residential uh, design firm in Dallas. Uh, we're located in Deep Ellum, near downtown. Uh, we primarily focus on um, modern or contemporary residential design. Um, you know, sizes ranging anywhere from, um, actually we're doing a really small project right now, so anywhere from like 600 square feet to 14,000 square feet. Um, so we are, uh, um, yeah, and we'll do a, a little bit of commercial, smaller boutique commercial projects um, as well. So how did you get started designing things? Did you like draw a lot at school? Did you... I mean, we'll talk about you being uh, in, involved in music later, but how did you how, how did you find this niche that you are currently in? Sure, I uh, I went to high school up in Denton, and they happened to have this incredible um, architecture program um, catered um, to you know uh, incoming freshmen, and they really um, they had a a teacher that was really passionate about teaching kids um, the art of drafting and um, you know architecture and so we would um, through the four years that I was there in Denton in high school I would uh, enter into competitions um, designing um, different buildings different houses and that's what got my start 
um, I later got a job um, with an architect in, in Denton and kind of went on from there. So, Now, are you, uh, are you old enough that you actually got to draft on vellum, or was it always electronic? Only because the teacher made us um, in school, but that was probably freshman year. Um, and I still, I still pull out um, trace paper on a daily basis to uh, draw by hand because there's something about sketching uh, on paper that helps you wrap your head around a specific uh, concept or design and then taking that to the computer is typically what I do. So uh, your website says that you take your inspiration comfortably between the worlds of mid-century and international modern style. So I love mid-century stuff, but I think mid-century has become this catch-all design thing that nobody really understands anymore. And, and people just see something clean and contemporary and they say, oh, that's mid-century. Sure. So how do, you, how do you define mid-century? What is it about mid-century that you like? And how do you think in the new century we are exploring the mid-20th century? Sure. So uh, my wife and I have spent a considerable amount of time traveling to L.A. and Palm Springs. Um, uh, what first got my interest into uh, mid-century modern design would be uh, what they call the case study homes that were in L.A. Um, so they had these uh, contemporary architects that were, you know, um, in the mid-century, around the 40s, began in the 40s into the 50s that created these um, really clean lined, what would be termed modern homes. Um, and then of course you see uh, a little bit different styling uh, in Palm Springs, which popped up. Um, and what sets mid-century modern architecture um, apart from me is, yes, you get your clean lines, um, really simple forms, but it's it's more of a warm um, modern. Um, you know, when I describe a an international modern, it would be more of uh, a museum, you know, a, a white box, uh, very clean lines, but some people would classify it as sterile, you know, um, cold, not inviting. So those are the those are the two big differences I would I would say between if someone's just going to say a catch-all mid-century modern. I think it has gotten more popular over the years. You have um, big retailers catering to mid-century modern furniture where they're, where they're copying Danish designs. And, uh, and it's really popular because it, it is warm. And Ikea. <laughs> and Ikea, yeah. So, um, yeah, does that answer your question? So is there a late-century modern? There's a current modern, I guess. What, I mean, what does, if, 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 if 80s, 90s, and 2000s is late century modern, how does that differ yeah. from That's a good question. Because um, we're, we're just finishing up a house uh, near, uh, in East Dallas that is very much mid-century modern inspired. Um, it was, um, you know, it was, the client really wanted to use uh, that inspiration from the mid-century. He has a lot of mid-century modern, authentic, classic furniture. Um, but we didn't want to create 
a, a house or a design that was inefficient, which mo uh, a lot of those plans and um, technologies are. So we're, we're borrowing um, those, that vernacular of the design that was so prominent in the mid-century and taking it into you know, the 2018 um, where we have modern codes that not only guide us, but also um, we have all the technology uh, and benefits of, of great um, insulation products, um, glazing systems that are super efficient. So you can have these, these modern houses that, you know, um, when people think about modern design, whether it be mid-century or just contemporary design, they think about giant expanses of glass. So big windows. Everyone that we design for wants big windows. Well, um, in order to meet energy codes, you have to have glazing or, you know, glazing technology or glass technology that, um, that really steps up their game and allows uh, for you to have a exterior kind of envelope or the exterior of the house be really energy efficient, so. Well, and just, I mean, does that, is that where design and eco-consciousness, I mean, East Dallas certainly has other eco-designers where it's lead and grass sure. roofs, and does that go into that design aesthetic as well? Or do they just happen to be? Well, it's not happenstance. I think that the that um, codes are getting stricter every year. Every year that a certain jurisdiction adopts a new code, um, they always get um, more restrictive. And so that's an effort, whether it be LEED or any other um, energy um, you know, organization that's really passionate about um, energy, um, that's where they're, they're really pushing the envelope. So um, it started with LEED, I would say, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but building codes are, are following suit. And so now, just to meet the ground level building codes, your houses and buildings are much more efficient than they were three, four, five years ago. Um, and so, um, like the city of Dallas has um, has what they call a green building program, and so you have the um, your normal building code that you have to follow by, but then they have um, increased um, restrictions. So your your water faucets and your showers um, have a restrictive um, flow rate for you know water conservation, and like I mentioned the the glass the glass ratings um, continue to go up. So you can't use, um, you know, glass technology that was, that's, you know, five years old. You need, you need certain, I won't bore you guys with the technical aspects of it, but you need certain coatings on the glass that will, that will reflect the, um, the solar heat gain that, that, that glass tends to bring into your house, so. So your, your website also talks about design that, and you, you spoke about efficiency, but design that has comfort um, and functionality. So when I tend to look, especially at contemporary architecture, you look at the design magazines, heck, even if it's HGTV, I look at those houses and I say, where do I put my keys? Where, there's no books anywhere. Where, sure. where do I, if I walk in because it's raining and my jacket's wet, where do I put it? 
So how do you how do you put that function into sure. designing a home that's both beautiful uh, and functional for human beings and dogs and children that actually live there? Well, that I think that's the that's the challenge that we face on a daily basis. Um, a lot of times, our goal is to create spaces that um, are comfortable to live in, but don't carry with it the clutter. I mean, I think everyone here probably has a few junk drawers in their house where it's a catch-all. Um, we probably have a bit too many of those. Um, but, you know, people don't want all of their clutter out. They want to have um, the ability to um, have the amount of storage that they need. And so our job as designers is to create a space that that looks like you see in the magazine. I mean, you wouldn't be looking through the magazines if you didn't like it, right? Um, so uh, creating um, and being clever about storage and functionality um, and being efficient with your design so you're not wasting space. Um, that's really, in our office, we really uh, strive to be really efficient with our planning. Um, so we, um, we don't want to create spaces that just have, you know, oh, there's a leftover, you know, nook here. Um, everything that we plan has a, has a reason and a purpose, and it aligns with something else in the room. Um, so we're really um, adamant about those things. This is completely anecdotal, but you just remind, I was putting something together the other day, and uh, there was a piece uh, that you, it was a tool that you used to put the rest of it together, and the instructions actually said, put this tool in the drawer where you hide everything else. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> so uh, how do you work collaborate? Obviously, it's a collaboration between you and the builder and the contractor and the client. How do you, how do you create that collaborative atmosphere when you're the expert in many things and they're still the client? Sure. So um, nearly all of our projects are client-driven, so we, we uh, are hired directly by the client. We aren't um, really associated with any builders, um, so we're not doing a lot of like spec homes or anything like that. So clients come to us. Um, we really spend the time to understand their goals. Um, we, we go through a series of, of um, or a time of visioning where we gather um, maybe inspiration images that they've clipped out of the magazines that you're, you're mentioning. So they come to our office with piles of, you know, magazine images that we catalog and, and organize and, and understand what they like about these images. And um, a lot of times the clients are like, I don't really know why I like this, I just do. And um, that, that's important for us to know too because we, we can understand, we can analyze it and understand what they, what they like about it. So once we go through that process, we will start our kind of schematic design um, process. And we design everything in, in three dimension. So um, we will do a, a digital model, a computer model, uh, sometimes we do a physical model where we're actually building a, a 3D model out of basswood and whatnot. Um, but during those design phases, we haven't yet engaged the builder, you know, because we want to um, we want to accomplish their goals, not only their space needs, 
um, the aesthetics they're they're looking for, their budget targets. Um, but we've got to we've got to get that on paper so then a builder can um, can start putting numbers to it. Um, but you mentioned a, a team aspect. We we stay on board. Um, on the project from start to finish. So in some ways, uh, you know, we are kind of the, the quarterback of the team, but it takes it takes a full team effort, you know. Um, so we don't, we don't get in those situations where, you know, we're trying to pin the contractor for something and the owner's pressuring us. It's, it's really a team atmosphere. Um, and the owner has uh, trusted us to be that quarterback. And the builders that we work with also buy into that. You know, they they come to the table like wanting to understand the design intent and us working together um, as a team to accomplish those goals. Well, I suppose there's a certain collaborate. I mean, engineers and builders are going to say, "Well, we could we could make it that wide, but we're going to have to do such and such in order to do sure. that." Could you cut three inches off and we can do it this way? And sure. Yeah, there's always some give and take. Um, you know, we there are some builders that we've worked with in the past that, you know, are kind of stuck in their ways. You know, I I remember one of my first projects uh, years ago. I showed up on site and the the contract was like, you know, boy, you can't do it like that. You know, and I'm like, yeah, we kind of can. It's just right there on paper. You can you can build it. You know, um, so it's having that trust that we know what we're talking about. We have to have that trust and respect the builder to, to bring to us situations that, you know, they've learned in the, in the past. And, you know, they might find something that I'm not seeing and I'm like, you're right, let's, let's do it that way. We still accomplish the intent of what we're going for um, and we're not compromising, um, so let's do it that way. So I want to talk about a couple of your past and, and current projects. And actually, I've been in, we were talking about, and this perhaps, is, would, it, would it be considered one of your more well-known houses? The uh, house made in the White Rock area made of shipping containers. Um, and this is, again, completely anecdotal. I actually was in the house that was on that land before nice. that house went up. And there was a 50s era bomb shelter in the backyard. Oh, wow. Like, go down in the green and the very... So, speaking of mid-century, yeah. being reborn on that line. Sure. So, tell us about how that project came about and uh, how it uh, evolved. Sure. Um, the the client came to me wanting to, to build a house uh, out of containers. Um, it wasn't my idea. Um, I... A lot of times, these things happen where... Um, Actually, I get the question a lot. Like, why would you choose to build a house out of shipping containers? Well, I didn't. The client came to me wanting to use containers. And it's my job as a designer to um, understand the client's goals, um, understand what they're wanting to do, and to execute it. Um, in that particular house, if you guys have seen it, it's on our website, uh, mgoodendesign.com, if you guys want to check it out later. Um, but... Uh, the primary goal for the client was just simply to use containers. He didn't come to me and say, Michael, I want to use containers because, um, you know, I am the ultimate, like, eco-friendly guy. Um, he didn't come and say, 
I want to use containers because I only have this amount of money. It was simply a design challenge. Um, he wanted to use something that, that he had seen other people use. This was back in 2012 when we started that project. It was before kind of the, the shipping container craze started. Um, so it took about a year to design that, that project um, for me to dive into um, what a shipping container was, the standards that they used to build them, what they're made up of, how to get them from overseas to Dallas, Texas, all of those things I had to research and find out. Um, and so I was, um, quick story, I, the, the owner was this close to pulling the plug after designing for a year um, on even using containers. He was like, well, you know, this is getting a little bit too difficult. I was like, no, 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 you can't, you can't pull it, can't pull it plug now. Just because uh, we were having trouble sourcing the containers within the, the budget, getting them here. We wanted um, what they call one trip containers, which are used one time because we, he was going to live in them. They didn't want to be rusted out or dented up or things like that. Um, so I said, give me, um, give me a week to source these containers. And so I was able to find a, a contact overseas um, and... I convinced the owner to wire a large amount of money overseas to a guy I'd never met before, hoping that these containers would show up. So I held my breath for about six months, um, and I was happy when they, when they arrived on site. Um, so that project took um, about two years to build. Um, you know, in Dallas, we, we don't really have the, um, the trade base, especially in a residential setting. So you, you have a typical uh, residential builder. He has his wood framer, um, you know, his, his standard electrician that doesn't use more commercial means. And, and so this builder had to add to his trade base to have a, a steel fabricator on site from day one till the day that the owner moved in, essentially. Um, so it was, it was a unique project. It, it, uh, it got a lot of attention in the neighborhood. Um, good and bad, um, mostly good. Um, and it got a lot of, lot of attention um, in publications as well. So um, it, was, it was a labor of love in, in some sense. Um, and uh, since then, we've, we've designed other container structures, um, not only houses, but um, some other things that, that are on the table to be built soon. So... And aren't there, I mean, I know there are huge houses made of containers, but there's also tiny houses made of containers, because what are they, 200 square feet, 180 square feet? Right. Yeah, this, um, you know, there's, like with anything, there's understanding the program, what the needs of the client are, um, and then, you know, if they want to use containers, then um, going about it appropriately to, to scale up or scale down the project. This this project used 14 uh, shipping containers, seven 40-foot containers, and seven 20-foot containers. Um, the house is 3,700 square feet. And it has the most amazing view of White Rock Lake in downtown Dallas. So, it, like I said, go on the website to check out the photos if you haven't seen it. So now you mentioned uh, when we were chatting a current project, 
a, a little bungalow of about 14,000 square feet. Tell us about that project. Yeah, th uh, this project we've been working on for um, a couple of years now. It's been under construction about a year. It's in uh, the Preston Hollow neighborhood of Dallas, which is um, just west of the tollway and north of Walnut Hill, kind of in that area. Um, and the clients came uh, to us wanting, uh, like all of our clients come to us, want something modern. And they don't really know how to pinpoint it, but they, they've seen it in magazines, they've seen what people tell them what modern is, and so they want something modern. And it's our job to, to extract what they really are talking about, you know. Um, so this project started off very, very large. They um, had a big program. They have um, a lot of family that lives with them. They love to entertain. Um, and so the, the program um, essentially, it ballooned up to close to 20,000 square feet. Uh, and we had to rain it back down uh, to a mere 14,000 square feet. Um, so what's unique about this this project is it's um, it's a contemporary design. Uh, the client was very open to using um, unique materials. You know, they they are clients that that um, you know really want to be set apart. They don't want what you know their neighbor has or the other neighbor has, uh, or really anything that they've seen before. So they allowed us to use. Um, kind of our diverse background with uh, different materials, you know, talk about shipping containers. They did not want a shipping container house. They made that very clear. And I did not want to give them a shipping container house. Um, but we were, uh, this house, uh, we went with a, a concrete facade that was uh, cast off-site at a facility in Hillsboro, Texas. And um, so it's precast concrete. And these panels that we, we put on the steel frame of the house um, are an average size of about 30 feet tall by 8 feet wide. And they were trucked in from Hillsboro uh, on giant semis and craned into place. And they put up, um, I think we had like 63 of these panels. And they put them up in about five days. And it looked like a complete house um, in about five days. Um, so that was pretty unique. Um, does it look like the exterior of the Perot Museum? It, it's the exact company that did the Perot Museum, okay. actually. So um, it was a different design, but very, very much the same. It's, it's got the same concrete mix that the Pro has. So same concept. Um, but the other materials that we used on the exterior and, and interior are unique as well. We're using a, um, a volcanic uh, basalt stone um, that's from Italy. And it's, um, yeah, it's a volcanic stone that's this nice charcoal gray color. Um, so they were just very open to using different materials that they, you know, couldn't necessarily drive around and see in the neighborhood. So uh, in, in, a, in a bit of a preview to the movie, one of my favorite uh, sort of ev evolutions of design and practicality comes from the design of sort of the of the early holiday inns, where actually the width of the hotel room was designed because it's exactly the width of a roll of carpet. 
and and in order to have it became efficient there was no waste of the carpet they could just roll the carpet right out and that's why hotel rooms are that wide have you had any brilliant discoveries like that in your design for houses or hotels or not necessarily but using shipping containers is pretty close <laughs> um, you know those the containers are all eight feet wide and so you have an eight foot module that you're working with and um, early in my career I learned from a mentor of mine to design in modules I wasn't thinking of shipping containers at that time but to to have a planning grid you know so you talk about a roll of carpet I don't know how it's 12 feet wide probably so these rooms are probably 12 feet wide well it's you know when you're planning a floor plan it's it's really great to have like a planning module or a planning grid we designed a house um, a guest house in Denton that's going to break ground here soon and we call it five house on our uh, website and we call it five house because it has a five foot planning grid every single every uh, if you drew a five by five foot grid on the paper everything in the house would align to that five five by five grid and we did that as a challenge um, but also just um, uh, you know for alignments with exterior um, uh, items like the pool uh, is exactly 15 feet wide it aligns with a 15 foot wide door which is split into three panes um, so yeah uh, we do get into like designing per modules um, not not holiday in uh, rooms but similar we uh, we've got some time for a few questions and uh, there is swag for people who ask really good questions. So, uh, any questions from the audience? Over here. Yeah, that's actually that five house that I was just talking about. It's a, it's a guest house up in Denton. Um, a really great project but it's it's very simple and it, it takes um you know it's funny it it has taken about as much time as any other project that we've done um, so square footage really doesn't matter you know it's the detail and and uh, you know thought that that's put into it over in the back right behind 3615 yep uh-huh Absolutely, yeah. Um, we have done studies for uh, doing some apartments out of hotel, or out of containers. Um, I've not done any kind of hospitality or hotel design before, but um, you know, it, you know, it's all about modules when you talk about you know repeatable modules for a hotel. You know, every room looks the same, and so um, yeah, you could absolutely even. Uh, create designs off-site so you could use uh, you know shipping containers or any other you know pre-manufactured kind of module build those on site and actually put together these modules um, in, in a rather short period of time over here
Sure, absolutely. So that was one of the reasons why we wanted to find a contact and a manufacturer uh, overseas. Every shipping container that's ever been made, that's a bold statement, but um, every container that's made today is made overseas. They just don't make containers in, in the U.S. Um, so we found a contact and a manufacturer um, overseas that we could actually order them to our specs. So we, we ordered them without any treated floors. Um, and that was one, you know, as I did the research, um, that was one negative. You have these, this off-gassing of, of these chemicals, and you don't even know what chemicals are in there, you know. Um, so we ordered the, the containers to just have a marine-grade plywood, untreated. That's how we did it. One last question. Back row right here. Um... I've turned down several projects because um, I didn't, it's not that I didn't think they were possible, um, but our, our goals didn't necessarily align. Um, I'm a big believer that anything's possible, honestly. Um, structural engineers tell me um, otherwise sometimes, um, but um, I just have to keep on pressing them and and uh, I, I really think that um, it, you, you see architecture around the world and the, the amazing things that you can do. Um, I really think that, you know, you can do a lot of things um, that you may, may not think that you could. So We've got a few minutes left, so uh, we will finish up with our top ten short questions. Oh, the lightning round. So uh, just give me, the, give me the quickest first answer that comes to your mind off the top of your head. All right. Question number one, pie or cake? Pie. Number two, Rolling Stones or Beatles? Beatles. Number three, your favorite style or flavor of bagel? Plain. Number four, concrete or granite? Concrete. Number five, porcelain or saltillo? Porcelain. Number six, Eiffel Tower or Empire State? Oh, uh, Empire State Building. Number seven, your dream vacation spot? Uh, Sayulita, Mexico. Number eight, the movie you've seen the most times? Forrest Gump. Number nine, Wizard of Oz or Gone with the Wind? Uh, Wizard of Oz. And number 10, the one building in the world that you wish you could have been a part of the design team. Oh, wow. Uh, that's a tough one. I'm going to have to, uh, man, you should have told me that one earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, clo I'll, I'll close out, and if you think, you, you, okay. you going to give you another 10 seconds. So thank you all for being here tonight. Please uh, help me to thank Michael Gooden of M. Gooden Design. As we said earlier, Airtime is a production of the Arts Incubator of Richardson. Next month's Airtime will be on March 13th. Uh, a clock inventor by the name of Chris Garcia will be our guest, and the movie will be the amazing Hugo. Did you think of one? I'm going to bow out of that question. It's too uh, difficult. Uh, Thank well, you guys well, for, uh, for being attentive, and I uh, appreciate you. And what's the website again? Um, mgoodendesign.com. 
Um, you can also check us out on Instagram or Facebook or anything else that you want. Great. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>